We'll make a start this morning, and we do welcome each one uh, to our adult Bible class, uh, trusting the Lord uh, would meet with us and apply His Word uh, to our hearts. Uh, we're going to open in prayer, and we'll seek the Lord. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, uh, we thank Thee this morning. We can come before Thee on Thy day. We thank Thee we can bring our prayers, our petitions unto Thee. We thank Thee we can meet in this manner uh, around Thy truth. And we pray, Father, that as we gather today that Thou would bless us, not only here but uh, throughout Thy day in this place. And may Thy word have free course and be glorified. And we beseech Thee, O God, that as we turn to the Scriptures now, that Thou would apply Thy word to our hearts. Teach us, instruct us in Thy ways. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be touched by Thee. Draw us closer to Thee. And may uh, this day uh, be a day of blessing here in Thy house. Uh, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, turn in the Scriptures to a number of places uh, to read. Uh, and firstly, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, then Romans 1, and then Psalm 19. There's my intention uh, over this month, and as the Lord gives opportunity to uh, commence a short study of the doctrine of Scripture and to consider those great uh, truths uh, concerning uh, the Word of God, its inspiration, its sufficiency, its authority, and uh, there are many uh, great truths for us to consider, and these things are certainly applicable in our day and generation, because many uh, would question the inspiration of Scripture, many question its sufficiency, uh, many question its authority, and many of those other uh, terms and subjects as well. And so we're going to refresh ourselves in what uh, the Word of God is and how uh, we are to consider the Word, how we are to uh, show reverence toward the Word, how we are to use the Word, and we trust the Lord will bless as we consider these things uh, together. Uh, but Second Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 14. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then across to Romans chapter 1. And the verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
And then Psalm 19, the 19th Psalm, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, and the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Amen. Uh, may the Lord bless uh, the reading of these words for his name's sake uh, this morning. <coughs> there is a sense in which every one of us are theologians. And that term we would often use to uh, refer to men like John Owen and men uh, like Burkhoff and Shedd who have penned uh, great books of theology. Uh, we would uh, be very hesitant to use that word of ourselves and to say, I am a theologian. Uh, but yet there is a sense in which every one of us is a theologian. The term theology comes from two Greek words that translate as God and word. And therefore, theology simply means words about God. And so every time we interact with words about God or words of God, we are engaging in theology or we are doing the work of a theologian. And now questions arise, what is the point of theology? What is the purpose of theology? Why do we study theology? And it is because it is for the building up of our spiritual knowledge. It is for our spiritual growth. And that is very true. But the foundation of all of that is a very simple reason. Why do we study theology? Because God is. God exists. God is. And secondly, because God has spoken. And those two fundamentals, God is, God exists, God is and God has spoken, are at the very heart of Christianity and Christian belief. There is a God who has spoken clearly, a God who has spoken to mankind, and this is the great proof that Christianity is not a religion of men. It was not dreamt up by men, but there is a firm belief in the living and true God. And therefore, at the very heart of Christianity, we have the truth that God exists, we have the truth that God has spoken or God has revealed Himself to man. And Christianity is a faith that is centered all upon God. We could say that in its purest and true sense, it is centered entirely upon God. Sadly, that is no longer the case in certain circumstances because men add to the words of God, and they add their own words, they add all sorts of prophecies, some that are clearly incompatible with the Word of God itself. 
But simple and true Christianity is focused upon the Word of God, and we must not move away from that. That is why we are actually here. That is why we exist. Uh, we uh, considered uh, something uh, regarding Reformation truth last Lord's Day, and our brother preached uh, regarding that, and we know it was the anniversary once again of the Reformation. And when we think of the Reformation, the Reformation was that return to this simple truth that Christianity is focused upon God's Word, and therefore as Christians and as believers and as the Church of Christ, we have no other authority, we have no other foundation than the Word of God alone. Because prior to the Reformation, and still today in uh, the Roman Catholic Church and in other uh, faiths and religions and beliefs, and even in Christianity itself in certain places, there is a moving away from Scripture. So there is Scripture, yes, but there are also traditions and the works of men and uh, prophecies and other things rather than the simple and pure Word of God. But Scripture itself is focused, or Christianity itself is focused upon the Word of God alone. We must never get away from that. That is what biblical Christianity is. And when we consider the doctrine of Scripture, that makes uh, this consideration of the doctrine of Scripture vital to us to understand that as we live, as we live our daily lives, and as we serve the Lord, and as we labor in the church of Christ, our authority, our doctrine, our teaching, everything that we do, and the way in which we do it is found in what God has given to us. Scripture alone. And the work of God within His church, our salvation, our living for Christ, all of that is possible because God has spoken. God has revealed Himself to man. And as we introduce this series on the doctrine of Scripture, I want to take that phrase, God has spoken. I want to look at God's revelation to man. And we'll close off this morning by considering a few practical reasons uh, why such a study will be beneficial to us as the Lord's people. And when we look at this phrase, God has spoken, that brings us to a section in theology that is called uh, bibliology, the study of God's revelation, how God has revealed Himself to us. And when I was studying for uh, this message, uh, I was uh, looking at many books of theology, and there was page after page after page of uh, information and doctrine and teaching and application all about God's revelation. And we could have a series just about how God reveals Himself to us, never mind looking at Scripture specifically. Uh, but it is our aim to look at Scripture specifically. And so when we come to look at God's revelation, there will be this morning uh, a summary, really, of how God has revealed Himself to us. And uh, there is much more and there are many deep things, but very simply in scratching the surface, uh, we see that God has spoken. We're not dealing with a trivial matter regarding the revelation of God. We're not dealing with something that is insignificant to our Christian lives. When we come to the revelation of God, we're not dealing with uh, something that is a denomination we have an open position on, like baptism or the end times within, within reason. 
We are considering a matter that is and should be significant to every one of us who believes in Christ. To those who are outside of Christ, this subject of revelation is of the most vital importance because this is how God reveals Himself to us regarding how we can be saved. It is vital. And so this morning, we're going to consider God has spoken. God has spoken. And firstly, I want you to see the first out of three things. It is necessary that God must reveal Himself to man. It is necessary that God must reveal Himself to man. <coughs> if you remember back to your childhood, remember back to when you were an infant, how did you know God existed? Where did you find that information from? Did you suddenly understand the moment you were born or looking back to the earliest days uh, that you knew that, regardless of what people said? No, because God must reveal Himself to us. We do not know God, and we cannot know God other than Him revealing Himself. I remember being told about Scripture and about the things of God as a young child. It was revealed to me by my parents. But if we go a step further, who revealed it to them, their parents? Where did they get it from? And so the cycle continues, but ultimately it comes back to the Word of God. It comes back to the Scriptures, and it goes beyond that to a certain extent because God Himself is the author of Scriptures. We would have no idea, no understanding of why we were here, of why this world was here, of how we can be saved, or in fact our sin itself, without God. We would not know. And therefore, when we consider uh, that God has spoken to us, it is necessary that God must reveal Himself to man. He must show Himself to us. He must come to us and reveal Himself, because left to our own devices, we would know nothing. And there are two things that are fundamental to how we view God. Firstly, that He is incomprehensible. He is incomprehensible. Job tells us, canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? Isaiah 40 says, to whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto Him? And when we think of those verses, we think of this term incomprehensible. It refers to not being able to be understood, something that is above understanding. And in applying this term to God, we acknowledge He is above us. Without Him revealing Himself to us, or Him, as it were, coming down to our level, we would never know of His existence and who He is. He is infinite, and man is finite. And we acknowledge that there is much about God that we do not know. In fact, if we take that uh, thought a step further, in ordinary circumstances, we would know nothing about God unless He made Himself known. He is incomprehensible, but secondly, God can be known. God can be known. And knowledge of God is necessary to salvation. In John 17, verse 3, we read, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And the purpose here of Christ 
is that we might know the only true God. The purpose of God's revelation is that we would know Him. We would be saved. We would be brought closer to God. God cannot be comprehended by us, but yet He can be known. We can have that relationship with God. We can know who God is. We can know what God has done. We can know what God will do because God has revealed Himself. If we turn uh, back to Romans chapter 1, <coughs> we see here regarding the rebellion of the fallen, ma- the fallen man and the rebellion of the fallen mind, and that uh, there is no knowledge of God. Uh, but yet, Scripture here tells us, verse 20, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Here we have a revelation of God, and God reveals Himself in two particular ways, natural or general revelation, firstly, and secondly, special revelation, uh, which would include the Scriptures of truth, and we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, But God revealed Himself first and foremost in natural and general revelation. Uh, That term, general revelation, does not mean that there's a view of revelation to which all men will agree to, but rather it signifies there's a form of revelation that is accessible to man. The natural revelation, it springs from nature, it springs from God's creation. It is that revelation that God has given to us through the creation of the world. And when we consider the doctrine of revelation, this is where we begin. When we think of natural revelation, uh, there are four particular thoughts here regarding God revealing Himself. He's revealed Himself in creation. In creation. When you drive home, look at the Rocky Mountains. That's God's creation. That's God's revelation. And we can move on to the next point because I think that would almost uh, explain uh, everything. Uh, We see the wonder of God. We see His creative power. But we turn back to uh, Psalm 19. We find two aspects of revelation in uh, this psalm. We have the special revelation, the statutes of the Lord, the law of the Lord. uh, But we also have natural revelation. And we have the heavens declaring the glory of God. We have the firmament showing forth His handiwork. And the whole of creation is a revelation of God's glory. When we look at ourselves this morning, we see the hand of God revealing Himself in our bodies, in our persons, for we are created in His image, but in our physical body. We can look at the marvel of the human body. It is not a product of chance. It is the handy work of God. If we think how everything works together and how uh, our heart is working to pump blood around our body and what that blood does to us in enabling life and how our brain is sending signals and how our brain is thinking, how our brain, even myself this morning, My brain is controlling my steps. It's controlling my hands. It's controlling uh, my speech and my thoughts. It's uh, controlling, uh, although uh, I'm not necessarily in control of it myself, my heartbeat and uh, my breathing. Everything is controlled. And how marvelous that is. 
Uh, we can uh, look at our bodies. We can take a sample of blood. We can go to a microscope. Uh, we can look uh, at that blood. It looks like just a little red liquid to the human eye, but we can zoom right in and see the marvel of the blood and the blood cells. I remember uh, some years ago uh, hearing a lecture by Dr. David Menden, who was associated with Answers in Genesis. I think he uh, has since passed away. Uh, but he came over to Scotland when I uh, was looking after church there for a few months. And I had the opportunity to go and hear him. And he uh, put up on the screen, he was a medical doctor, and he put up on the screen uh, photographs of the human eye. Not the eye that we see, but the eye the microscope would see. Uh, it looked almost like a warehouse, one of, one of the photographs, uh, with pallet after pallet stacked high. But it was zoomed in to, I don't know what the zoom was, but it was marvelous to see the detail of that construction and how uh, those cells and everything that was represented there works together in the human eye so that we can see clearly around us. It was marvelous. We can look at creation. We can look at the stars. We can look all around this world, and we see that someone or something has to be the source of all of this. God has created this world. God has created this world. We also see consensus. There is a sense of deity in all men. And we can think of those who have worshipped over the years. They have worshipped idols. They've worshipped rivers and trees and the sun and the moon and the stars. There is, as it were, this, as theologians say, this unspoken consensus that there is a desire or a need for worship within man. It's part of God's natural revelation. We can think of our conscience as discerning between good and evil. If we turn to Romans chapter 2, uh, we will see something uh, regarding this, Romans chapter 2, uh, the verse 14, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. What that verse, uh, just a simple overview, says to us is God's truth, God's law is within our hearts. It's within the heart of man. There is a conscience, a conscience, which is, again, a revelation of God. There's also control. God governs this world. His works of providence, His sustaining power points to His revelation. And we can think of harvest. Uh, we can uh, think of how the food is provided for us on that yearly basis, that cycle. God is in control. God is in control of nature. We can think of the water cycle that I remember learning off in geography and how the water comes from the clouds and into the oceans and the rivers and evaporates and the whole cycle goes on and on and on. God is in control. It is His natural revelation to us. And there's much more could be said here, but dear believer, God must be our starting point. In every theological consideration, because 
He is the starting point of all things. He is the starting point of creation. He has revealed himself to us. Our theological starting point should never be the ideas of men. It should always be God. Turn with me to, Rome, or to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and here we have the Apostle Paul. He's preached to the Bereans. And uh, what did they do? Uh, verse 11 These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So they received what Paul said. <coughs> they listened to what Paul said. And then we find that <coughs> they set this aside. They set aside the preaching of the apostle Paul. And then they searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. And then there was this great blessing. Therefore, many of them believed. But imagine today setting aside the preaching of God's word, taking it for a moment and putting it to the side, and then going to the Scriptures and checking out every fact, every doctrine, comparing everything that was said to the Word of God to see if it was truly God's Word that was preached, holding whoever is preaching to a high standard. That's what the Bereans did, and quite frankly, that's their example to us. They had the right view of Scripture. They made sure that what they heard was not incompatible with the Word of God. Because God had revealed Himself in His Word. His Word, His revelation was their starting point. As God, the great Creator, is the starting point of all things. But when we think of this natural revelation, because of man's sin, there is a limit to it. The late Dr. Kearns stated that this revelation is still in operation today. We can see it around us. But the blinded mind of fallen man by its own power cannot perceive and interpret it properly. He states that the truth that natural revelation was addressed to unfallen man, and it has nothing to say about fallen man. In other words, the revelation we see of God in this world is addressed to Adam. It's addressed to Eve. It's addressed to man in a world that had not fallen into sin. But now the world has fallen into sin. And sin has blinded the eyes of men. It is man who is defective, not the natural revelation. The natural revelation fulfills its purpose. But man is defective and in need of a special revelation because... Natural revelation is insufficient for the purpose of giving him redemptive revelation. Romans 1, however, if we turn back to that for a moment, Romans 1 reminds us that while we have natural revelation, it is not an excuse. It is not an excuse. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. And then moving down to the end, so that they are without excuse. The man standing before God will not say and cannot say, I did not know. You never revealed yourself. You never told me these things. The Word of God says he is without excuse. He is without excuse. But sin has blinded our eyes to the reading of God's revelation in creation. It's created the need for another revelation. And I want to draw your attention to the confessional, confessional documents of our church, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 1, section 1 deals with the revelation of God. The very opening chapter, the opening section deals with what it is all about, how God has revealed himself to us. 
And it says, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto the church, and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scripture to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people now being ceased. And so uh, the Westminster divines set forth that there is this limit in natural revelation. They recognize this limit. And they also recognize that God revealed himself in a special way culminating in the writing and the preservation of the Word of God. And so we see that because of our sin, it is necessary for God to reveal Himself to us. But secondly, we see it is necessary for God to give man the Scriptures. It is necessary for God to give man the Scriptures. We've touched on that. Uh, but man can look at the beauty of a flower. He can see the beautiful petals. He can smell the floor. And we can see from that floor, God created it. It was God who designed it and placed it in this world. But we cannot look at that floor and realize we're a sinner in need of repentance and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The death of that floor, the rotting of that floor, may show us clearly there is something wrong with this world. But it can never reveal to us that we are sinners in need of repentance and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another revelation is most necessary. And that brings us to special revelation. There's a great unity in revelation, natural or special. They do not contradict each other. But when we think of special revelation, it is centered upon Christ. It's centered upon the Savior. It's centered on the one who would come to be our Savior. It centers upon Him. And this special revelation is indispensable to man's redemption. Indispensable. It is necessary. It is most essential. We could not be saved without God in grace and mercy coming down and revealing himself to us. And that is what the Westminster divines say. They say that this natural revelation was not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, something else was needed. And God did not leave man alone. He gave him this revelation this revelation. It's important to note that <coughs> at the end of that section 1, it says those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people now being ceased. There were other ways of special revelation. Theophanies, the Old Testament appearances of Christ, the angel of the Lord, prophecies, uh, visions, dreams could all uh, be contained in their miracles uh, that pointed to Christ. 
We can think of the miracles Christ performed that pointed to an aspect of himself, making the blind to see, raising the dead to life, pointing to the gospel, revealing himself, revealing his power, revealing salvation, and what he can do for sinful man. All these things have ceased. Yes, Christ can heal. Yes, the Lord can move in great ways, but in regard to what we see in many charismatic churches today, we do not see new revelation being given through miracles and prophecies and the spiritual gifts. Those things have ceased. And that's another subject entirely. We may come back to it when we look at the closed canon of Scripture. Uh, But when we think of God's revelation to us today, we have the Word of God. It is closed. It is sealed. It is settled. It shouldn't be added to or taken away from. And it is given to us that we would understand the great message of salvation. We would understand Christ and His gospel. We would understand how to live for Christ. It is necessary for God to give man the Scriptures to reveal to him all that he needs to know to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If we turn to Psalm 19, we see not only natural revelation, but we see special revelation. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. (coughs) This special revelation is a great blessing to man, and it is most necessary. Then thirdly, and as we close, I want us to consider that it is necessary for us to understand and practice the importance of this revelation. It is necessary for us to understand and practice the importance of this revelation. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We read uh, that a few moments ago. Second Timothy chapter 3. It's one of the times I should have kept my marker here because I can't, not that I can't find Second Timothy, but my fingers uh, must still be frozen from being outside and uh, many pages are turning. But Second Timothy 3 and verse 16 sets forth what Scripture is. It's given by inspiration of God. Then it sets forth the practical benefits to us of Scripture. It's profitable for doctrine. All our teaching, all that we believe comes from this special revelation of God. Our reproof, our correction, our instruction in righteousness, all comes from this special revelation. And the purpose is that we may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Our sanctification, our salvation, our sanctification is in view here that we would be men of God that would be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We would be godly. We would be mature believers. We would be believers who would engage in good works, not for salvation, but as a fruit of salvation. And therefore, we must keep close to the revelation of God. We must understand it. We must practice it. 
There are some significant themes that we've considered, even briefly, that must be applied to our lives today. Firstly, we must have joy. Now, moving aside from 1 Timothy 3, there are many practical benefits there, and we'll come back and consider inspiration at a later date. Uh, but we are to have joy. When we consider God has revealed Himself, let us rejoice in His mercy and His grace and His love, for He revealed Himself to us. Because of our sin, we could not know God. But in grace and mercy and love, He revealed to us His plan of salvation. We would not know how to be saved, but God in love stepped in and revealed Himself. Oh, the privilege. Oh, the blessing. In Second Chronicles 36, the verse 15 and the verse 16, it speaks regarding King Zedekiah and the wickedness of the kingdom and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers, rising up at times and sending. God sent to this people, this wicked people, His preachers continuously rising up at times and sending. Why? Because He had compassion upon them and on His dwelling place. He sent preachers. What a blessing that is. Preachers and messengers with the revelation of God to this needy people. But how did they respond to it? They mocked the messengers of God. They despised His words. They misused His prophets until the wrath of God arose against His people till there was no remedy. We see the outworking of God's mercy by sending messengers with His revelation. Dear believer, do not mock the messengers of God. Rejoice and be thankful that God has revealed to you in His Word His plan of salvation, that He has revealed to you uh, through His servants and through His uh, normal means uh, the way of salvation and uh, way of instruction. Rejoice in it, because left to ourselves, there would be nothing, nothing but sin, nothing but darkness, nothing but God's wrath and judgment for all eternity. Let us have joy. Let us be thankful that God has revealed Himself to us. And then that brings us to another thought. We're to love and desire the Word. We're not to mock the messengers of God. We're not to mock the Lord or mock His Word. We're to love and desire it because it is God's necessary revelation. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God, and the psalmist says many things in that psalm. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. He says, I hate vain thoughts, empty thoughts, but thy law do I love. He said, I love thy testimonies. I love thy commandments above gold. He says, consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. He speaks again about the great peace have they which love thy law. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Dear believer, this morning, when we think of God's revelation, when we think of understanding it and applying it to our lives, we're to love it. We're to love it. And that should be our approach to Scripture. We're not in this study teaching in the sense of what Scripture teaches us the same way that you would have, uh, I suppose, in the sense of a typical Lord's Day sermon, coming to John 3 and teaching what John 3 means. We're taking a step back and we're looking at the Word of God and what the Word of God is all about. 
its inspiration, its source, its authority, its clarity, its sufficiency. Looking at all these great truths that when we then take that step forward into the Word of God, we're approaching John 3. This is what God has said. This is clearly uh, what God is revealing to us. This is clear. This is sufficient. This is all that we need. God has given this to us. And therefore, when we consider what this passage means, then coming with that approach that it is most necessary to us because it's God's revelation, it will help us and enable us as we consider the great truths within that passage. And if we love and desire the Word of God, that's how we are to understand and apply God's revelation in our lives. We're to love it. We're to desire it. We're also to be serious about the Word. We're to be serious about the Word. Westminster Confession says in that first chapter, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. We're to hold it high. We're to have reverence uh, to it. I remember uh, being in Romania many years ago, and uh, one of the uh, men, one of the deacons from the church uh, that I was a member of in Northern Ireland was with us. And we went to uh, this uh, little meeting. Uh, it was in, in the middle, well, for me, it was in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea where I was. It's a little church. Uh, people who hardly had a cent uh, to rub together, to use that term, very poor. Uh, but yet they, sort of, they, they gave us a great, a great supper, a great feed, as we would say, in Northern Ireland. Uh, they showed great Christian love and kindness. Uh, but in that uh, meeting, uh, the, the pews were just benches, which meant that if you were tired and you wanted to lie back in your seat and you fell asleep, well, you'd fall on someone's lap behind you. Uh, it gave you an incentive to stay awake. And maybe I'll come in next week and the backs of all the pews have been sawed off. I don't know, but that's what it was there. Uh, very simple. I don't think that was the reason they just had benches, but it certainly it was not a comfortable thing to sit upon. It helped to keep you awake, but it also meant there was nowhere to put your Bible in the pew in front. And so this man, being in a, a full pew, put his Bible on the floor just underneath his pew. And before the start of the meeting, he got a tap on the shoulder, and this old Romanian man, didn't know a word of English, gave him his Bible. And the point of him giving his Bible was the Bible was so precious and so valuable and loved so much by him, he didn't want it sitting on the dirty, dusty floor. And of course, yes, it's the words of Scripture that are important, uh, but uh, the Bible itself, the physical Bible, to him resembled the very words of God, and he treated it with, with respect. Dear believer, we should treat, yes, the words of Scripture with respect. It's the words that are important. The Bible itself symbolizes the Word of God, but the Word of God, we can see on signposts, we can read the Word of God on our phones, we can see the Word of God on pictures on the wall everywhere, God's revelation to us. But the words of Scripture, let us treasure them. Let us be serious about them. Let us be serious about them. And we should not take it for granted. We should not take it for granted. 
James says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And if we're serious about the word, it affects our reading of the word. It affects our listening to preaching. It affects preaching itself. Today across this world, in many conservative evangelical churches, there's a very poor standard of preaching. There can be many reasons attributed to that. Uh, but uh, one of those reasons perhaps is this. God's word is not taken seriously not taken seriously. Yes, it's believed. And as the confession says, or other uh, confessional documents, whatever men may, be, may believe, they believe God's Word is inspired. They believe God's Word is true. They believe God's Word is most necessary. They would agree with those things we've considered this morning, but yet somewhere between the believing of that and the practicing of that, something has got lost something has got lost. Dear believer, we, we can lose that ourselves as we listen to the Word of God. Like it's just another sermon. It's an hour, and I have things to do, and I'll just sit through it. Would it be serious about God's Word? Would it be serious when God's Word is presented and preached? We're to pray for it. Whether we are giving it ourselves, giving it to friends or family, giving it in a formal situation, whether we are listening to it informally or formally, whatever it may be, would it be serious about it? Let us not just believe the truth. And we subscribe to the confession of faith, and we subscribe to these great truths about Scripture. Let the confession that is based on Scripture and those truths flow in our lives. Let us not merely understand, but let us practice them. And then finally, let us apply the Word to our lives, similar to what we've said. But notice this verse from the Psalms, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. If we truly treasure the Word of God and God's revelation, let us hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against thee. It is most necessary for us to understand and practice the Word of God. A hymn writer said, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can be said? What more can he say than to he what more can he say than to whom he hath said, You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled? What a foundation we have. Let us treasure it, let us love it. And may the Lord be pleased to bless our study of the word to our hearts and souls in a mighty way for his glory. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. and We pray thou would apply it to us. We thank thee for the teaching of Scripture, the teaching of Scripture concerning itself and how we are to approach thy word. And Father, we pray that as we move on and consider uh, the great doctrines of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, Father, may it thrill our hearts. Uh, that we are depending upon thy word alone. It can be trusted. And may we love it, may we desire it, may we be serious about it. And Father, we pray thou would bless us now and continue with us in the services that will follow this day. For the honor and glory of thy name we pray. Amen.